Welcome to the fifth episode of the Women as Champions of Environmental Change podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jennifer Mulwanta, who is the CEO of the Water Research Commission of South Africa and sits in various government advisory boards. Her passion is in capacity building, skills development, and inclusion of historically disadvantaged individuals in the mainstream science and technology careers and economy of which water and land are integral. Uh, Dr. Mulwanta has uh, kindly agreed to this interview whilst she's on holiday, which is a good thing. We were happy about that. And she is currently um, taking some time out in Zanzibar. So as I conduct the interview, I'm also very jealous of where she is, but it also talks to balancing work and life. Welcome, uh, Dr. Jennifer. Thank you very much, Ms. Pam. Okay, can I call you Jennifer for the interview? I think that's perfect. Okay, so uh, I read a little bit about your bio and your passions, and um, and if you can just share with us um, what drives you. I think most importantly, optimism. You know, as a young black female in South Africa with the current challenges that our country is facing, we just have to be optimistic, wake up every day and just say, I'm going to make a little bit of a difference and contribute towards the future and leave this uh, world a better place one day at a time. So that's what drives me really. Oh, awesome. I know you're very humble. You're talking about making a little contribution, but you run a big organization uh, called the Water Research Commission. Want to tell us a little bit what it is and what it does? The Water Research Commission is a Schedule 3A entity of the Water and Sanitation Department in South Africa, established by an Act of Parliament. We were established in 1971 um, during the times when there was drought and um, the country needed to make you know, fast decisions around how to tackle the issues of drought. Since then, our mandate is really to support the department, um, the water sector, and the South African public around issues of water security. So what we do is we fund researchers and we prioritize this research and fund it in order to quickly provide um, decision-making support and uh, solutions that will make um, our country more water secure um, in the areas of droughts, floods, early warning systems, but most importantly in the contribution towards capacity building. So we do fund researchers to fund students so that we can have a lot of knowledge generators in our country that then can also take this uh, career in research and development and to provide solutions around the water and sanitation challenges that our country is facing. In a nutshell, that's, that's what uh, the Water Research Commission does. That sounds like a big contribution that you're making, um, especially these days where we also face with the challenge of uh, climate change. 
and um, we'll come back to that. So just going back to yourself, so how did you get involved in the sector? Well, it's a beautiful story to tell, I must say. When I was at Rhodes University doing my honors, master's and PhD in biotechnology, I was actually a student funded by uh, the Water Research Commission itself. And uh, I focused on water, mine water remediation, environmental um, degradation, and how to improve. But, you know, around that time, that's when we had Professor Kara Asmal as the Minister of Water and Sanitation. And remember, there was these mines that were polluting, and he even went on to shut some of the mines. So a lot of the research that we're dealing with was to how to then deal with this mine water decant and how to improve their quality to ensure that it doesn't negatively impact on the environment. And then I went as a research assistant in the private sector, I in the environment and water. So I doubled a bit in, you know, your EIAs. I doubled in, in, in the laboratory work in terms of my water remediation. And yeah, in 2014, I joined the Water Research Commission as a research manager importantly dealing with the critical issues of water resource quality. I was there for a period of two years um, from which I then stepped out and realized I'm a scientist at heart, but I'm also a leader and um, being a water research manager, um, you know, I watched a lot of my colleagues who have been there in the field for so long. And I, I, I thought, I love this, but I also want to do more. And in 2016, I was appointed as an executive manager water resource management at the Inkomati Usutu Catchment Management Agency, where I was responsible for water quality, for hydrology, which I had to quickly learn, for biodiversity, which obviously I was quite aware of, people management, you know, asset finances, executive development. I spent five uh, five years at the at the, at the Inkomati to catchment management agency and spend a lot of time also capacitating myself as a leader, as an executive, as a director. So when in 2021, the position for the CEO of the Water Research Commission was advertised, I had calls from people besides the fact that I also wanted to apply, but I had calls from people that said, why don't you take a chance at this? You know, the WRC has never had a woman, black woman CEO, and I did exactly that. And I must say, it's such a good story to tell, to have come from being a student, to have been a research manager, to have gone out and come back now as the CEO to head the Water Research Commission. So it's uh, how I got involved, particularly in the Water Research Commission, but in the water sector, I think it's generally through my studies and also through how water issues affect us on a day-to-day -day basis. I come from Kahiso, uh, which is an old mining township, and we don't have mountains and hills. We actually have mine dumps, which we grew up knowing to be our mountains. I mean, if I had never been outside my community, I wouldn't know what a real mountain looks like. But the big thing was that we were always cautioned around, if you want to, if you see a puddle of water around, you know, the wetlands and the streams, we couldn't play in there as kids because it was always said that it was dangerous. You know, you would be taken by a snake or it's acidic and you'd be taken by the mine. So 
all of that, I think, culminated into me being very passionate about issues of environment and water in particular. Oh, that's a that's that that's a wonderful story. Um, I want to just go back on. I want to take two angles on that story. One is that it's just the linkage because often people do not make the connection or the linkage between environment stuff and water. We see it as an engineering issue as opposed to an environmental issue. So if you could just comment on that as well. So important an observation that you're bringing through. Um, you know, one of the studies that I did was um, environmental uh, monitoring and evaluation at UNISA. And that is where we actually, it gets very much easily dissected when you're doing environmental law. You have got the national, uh, the NEMA, which is our Environmental Management Act. And water, air quality, land, and climate, and other things are actually specific Environmental Management Act. And that is where people need to understand what uh, water, how water is so important in the environment. So when you're doing your environmental assessment, water is a critical component, right? When you're looking at what impact any form of development would have, you'd look at water, not only your surface water and rivers that we see, but also your groundwater. And most importantly, it's also that there is no development that can take place within the environmental space without water. So water is actually the driver of development. So that linkage is so critical that um, you have to understand the whole impact of water on development, on the environment, but these are also um, uh, to come around and understand how the environment itself is made up of um, several media, including water, but also how that uh, all of those other media affects each other. And to the bottom of it, it's really the fact that or everything else that is pollution-wise will end up in the water, in the air, uh, but mainly in the water. And we will mostly interact with it in those two media, which is the air and the water, uh, besides your land and, and other spaces, you know, your biodiversity and all of that. And, um, and then how do these issues play themselves out uh, with, uh, with regard to women in general? Women are critical in the environment and water space, particularly as primary caregivers, right? You're responsible to make sure that the water in the home, your children are bathed, your family can eat, you uh, have a, we have a history of, of you know, women being uh, domestic workers, making sure that the home is clean and all is taken care of. And so that is very critical. But I, I like to give, when, when, when faced with that question, I like to give the, a, an example of my grandmother who, in rural Northwest, uh, we had no water, uh, a tap in the yard. And uh, so we always fished from the nearby borehole, which was a community borehole. And the beauty of it is that she taught us the value of every drop of water. So on the first day you arrive, you can go, you know, you fetch everybody, we're excited to take your bucket, to put it on your head. When you come back, it's half the bucket. And that was well and fine. It's a first day. The next day when she sends us out to fetch the water, there are some of us um, as cousins, you know, a lot of us grew up together. 
who would be fetching drinking water and those were the more older and and more stable girls and boys and then the rest of us would be fetching for cleaning and other things and she would say to you whichever volume you bring home it's going to determine how much food you get how much bath water you have and how much you can drink during the day so that really uh, taught us as that there is value in water. So you'd come back and not even spill one drop because that contributed to that. But also it was the the being such a rural and uneducated woman really, but she was so wise. What I observed and what I now know as um, drinking water quality, she practiced that without having gone to school, but she instilled that in us. So the water that you fetch today, you don't drink on the day. She would take it, she would put it in a 25-liter drum that is um, transparent, and then she would put a, a bleach in there, and then she would put it out in the sun. And basically, that was water quality. That was treating the water. And then you would drink it the next day. And the water that we drank was always separate from all other water buckets that were available in the home. And only... Um, Bigger sisters would be, if you needed water, you wouldn't just go, you know. It was always the bigger ones that gave us water. And you realize that that was preventing contamination, right? You come from the bathroom, you come from playing outside, and then you would contaminate. So that's what she did. More than that, we didn't also have uh, waste management in the rural areas. So at the, the we had a very big yard, and at the right at the end of the, of the yard, there were two holes that were always dark. And it's still even the practice now. One for was for perishable goods, right? Your 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 foods that you cook, uh, the stuff that you clean out of the pot. Basically, your degradable material would go into one. Plastics, bottles, and cans went into another. And in this one, where there were perishable goods, you'd always fill up with a layer of sand. You know, after a week. And what that did was really creating compost and fertilizer. And every time she would plant in the yard, we didn't litter. Uh, we always had to make sure that we separate, um, you know, the waste and all of that. So I believe the role of women as primary caregivers and as the first educators of society in the uh, taking care of water and land, it's so critical. Um, and, and I learned that from that old uh, wise woman who was my grandmother. And it's a, it's a lesson that I instill in my children and everybody else that's around me. Um, just a funny one is that my son, they were going on a bus trip with some people from the rural areas and apparently a lady uh, tossed a used tissue out of the window. And my son tapped the lady and said, my mother was here. She would stop the bus and ask you to go and pick it up. That is how really uh, important it is. It is in us instilling this knowledge in our little ones and then society at large lens. So women play a very critical role as educators. Oh, wonderful. Um, I mean, I don't know, I have an observation that uh, you've articulated so well how much women as primary caregivers, their role in terms of uh, water, issues of the environment in terms of how we educate um, and other generations that come after us. But I, but I can't seem to shake off my mind the fact that at a policy level, uh, there's fewer and fewer women involved. Uh, what 
do you have, firstly, do you have the same observation? And secondly, what do you think is the case? Um, Dupem, I think women have fought so hard. You and I know, I mean, when we studied at Rhodes, we were young girls, few amongst a lot of white males and even white women and other races. And, um, but it was always more male dominated and it's precisely because it's viewed from an engineering perspective, but it's actually science, it's policy, it's practice. And from a policy level, yes, you're coming into the workspace, you go into the department, it's male dominated. You go into the private sector, it's male dominated. I mean, my own mentors were white males and i always say i think i was their pet project because during that time you know after 94 you had to have your little star child that you mentor and give time and energy so that you can be counted as having contributed so there's still a level of um uptake that is less of women generally but specifically black women than of other races in general and men in particular are still occupying that space and um that's that's the history that we're coming from and you'll find that uh, we talk a lot around tr uh, transformation within the different departments within government wide but we're not really intentional about ensuring that we are building the pool of women that are competent that are experienced that are well trained that we can always draw from so Examples are when bursaries are advertised, it's for everyone, right? It's you get them on merit. So when uh, appointments are made, yes, there is the affirmative action policies, but it's the best people that get it. And in most cases, the shortcomings of women and how we have just not always been exposed uh, does not lead us to the, to the part of playing a, a very important role, which is at the policy level. A lot of us would graduate, go out of university, um, get a job, uh, start a family, get married, start a family, and all of that. And at that time, your equivalent male, even though they would still get a, get married and, and start a job the same way as you, they get to fast track in the workspace compared to the woman because then they get to do the other courses, they get to study further. And while you are stuck with building a family, and a lot of us only then emerge later in life when you are now, you know, the kids are growing, they're of school going age, they're a little bit independent. And that gives you a little bit of a back foot in terms of catching up. So you're finding that um, at a later place in life, there, there's a lot more of us that are coming into the space, but it's already occupied. It's already filled up with a lot of men. And we are not intentional about saying we are looking for a woman. I mean, the WRC is a 50-year-old organization. And only in 2022 did they appoint the first black woman CE. Mm. And we know that this is very prevalent in the private sector as well. And in leadership as well, um, there is less more women. And, and, and I believe the country is... Uh, just a little bit short of that excellence. I believe women are, are so much more excellent comparatively because of the inherent responsibility, care, and love, and uh, finding solutions at all costs. 
um, that uh, we should be occupying those positions. It is my uh, lifelong uh, plan to also train and um, skill a lot more women that come after me to make sure that they understand. And and also there's a fear amongst a lot of us, right? Uh, I know you were called fierce, you were called brave, you were called, you know, this strong woman. It, you just didn't have to be just an ordinary woman to get to that space. And for me, the, 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 and I've been, I think, described similarly. And I would like to see a future where it's not about being strong or brave or having to, you know, fight your way through. It's about being a woman, being classy, being a girl, being still, you know, pretty and pink and still being able to occupy those spaces. I think for me, that's very critical. So we need to be doing a lot more, I think, as leaders of this time to empower young women to say, it's not scary to be a manager. It's not scary to be a DJ before you are 40 like Pam. It is actually allowed and it is possible. And this is the path you need to walk. This is how you express yourself. I always say uh, the thing, being trained by white men, one of the things that I had to quickly unlearn was to be this submissive you know, look down when you speak to people and all of that. They made me look a person in their eyes, convin be convincing how you learn to speak and express yourself. Be on time, be early, you know, add a little bit more than you've just been given, you know, research a little bit more than you are supposed to. And I think that's very critical. And as a result, if we can uh, invest in that, I think we will see a lot more women uh, in the policy environment and um, in the change. Awesome. You know, um, I was thinking as I was listening to you that um, uh, if, I, if, if, I mean, I think you've covered some of the stuff, but I just want you to see if there's anything you want to add, that if I was a young woman um, listening to this interview, um, what would be the one message that you want to give to me? It is possible. Oh, yeah. With all of the limitations, with all of the challenges, it is possible. If uh, it does not take away being that girl uh, and, and the teachings that we are taught from home that, you know, you have to be a good woman so that you can be married and have children. With all of that, all on the same place, it is possible. But it requires a little bit more sacrifice and determination and requires somebody to see a little bit more of what you what you're showing for them to see what is what is behind you know that wall of being a woman and that being said it's we just have to be a little bit more inquiring than ordinary you just have to ask the questions and 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 Pam I, I say this humbly so particularly for a lot of young girls that will come and say, Doc, I want you to mentor me. Mm -hmm. And I always say to them, I'm available to mentor anybody. There's two things I don't do when I mentor people. I don't ask for time, for your time. You ask for my time. And I don't go out and mentor you. You come and drink from this and, and, you know, source of knowledge and you will get whatever you need from me because you pursue it and i think if we can also shift that around the young woman that you don't sit around and say ah she's my mentor but she's always so busy 
one of the young interns I had at uh, when I was in Pumalanga, uh, she said to me, you know, you're always so busy. I'm not sure. I'm trying to schedule a meeting on a diary. I said, you know what you must do? The first thing is that you must always be on time at work so that when I come in the morning, when you make me a cup of coffee, you make yourself a cup of coffee, we have our 30 minutes talk time. Oh, yes. I've been part of learning. Every time I pack up my office and I'm about to leave, you can help me carry my bags and my files. And that walk from the office to the car is the other time that we have. If you have time and, uh, and, and it's possible, book an afternoon lunch with me or a late lunch on a Friday afternoon. Don't hurry to rush to go home. I'm in Pumalanga. I've got nothing to do with my time after Friday work time. So make time. I'll pay for the lunch, for the dinner, but I will teach you all I know. And uh, what is also important is that I will, I will obviously then pay for the lunch, but it is about the investment in time. So it's possible, but there has to be some give and take. The opportunity is there, but you have to give the time. You have to make it and you have to want it so badly. And I think the last caveat for a lot of young women is especially when you're told you cannot be. That is the time when you must know you actually have got what it takes and there's a fear of you making it and therefore you can make it. Mm. So what keeps you motivated? I am motivated by the, and, and you said it's not little, but the little pockets of goodness I give on a daily basis. Firstly, I'm a mother, so to my children, trying to be the best mother and also acknowledging that I'm fighting in a space where I'm I'm trying to keep my head high and be better than everybody every day, but I must not lose that uh, part of being a mother to my boy to my boys. I I try and make time for me time, which is very difficult. But um, I've 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 now acquired a new hobby of walking, hiking. So I find that just being there in the in the openness, breathing fresh air, be it for an hour or two, every week I make time for that. It really keeps me motivated. It makes me ask myself the very difficult questions. Um, I'm motivated by the fact that there's so many challenges. We're not having it easy. It's every day, you know, if it's not water, if it's not sanitation, if it's not young girls getting abused, if it's not uh, kids not making it to school or not being in school when parents think that they, they are in school. It's all of those things that say to me, there's still more to do. So um, I would like to believe that we all here for a reason. And I just want, uh, when I leave, uh, to have made a mark in the different areas. It cannot be the same in all of them, but I should have made a mark and I should say, uh, uh, people should be, that come after me should be able to say, well, Jennifer did the same as I, 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 I aspired to, to, to you when you were a DG. And even now people still say, you remind me of Pam with, with things. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's my inspiration. That's the, that's the young lady that I used to see and think, oh, you know, one day I want to be there. So that's really what's motivating. The future is still here. The earth is still here while it's still rotating and revolving there's more to do and we just can't give up but also having fun 
that's really what's motivating me. I look forward to time with my friends. It's not often, it's not as planned. And sometimes I let them down so many times, but I look forward to it and just to laugh and just be, not be the CEO, not be the mother, just be the young girl and just, you know, have fun. So that's, that's what motivates me. Awesome stuff. Um, let me not uh, hold you any longer, but I am uh, sensitive to the fact that you are on holiday uh, today. Enjoy the last day of your holiday. And thank you so much for uh, spending the time. There's a lot of stuff that we can mine from the interview. And it's, on, it's part of the program why I do this is to also motivate other young women. And the more they listen to stories from people like you who started from a research, someone who's funded as a researcher to someone who is now a CEO, it is what you are saying, it is possible. Thank you very much for your time and keep well. Thank you, Sis Pam. But lastly, I would not have done justice to, to this if I don't say, can us as a woman, young woman, can we not litter? Can we be the, the engine and the catalyst for stopping the rampant littering that's happening in our communities, in our, because we are the ones that send the children to go and throw, go throw this ambulance, you know, but we don't think, go and put it in the bin. And when it's not in the bin, make sure that, you know, you correct it. Uh, I'm really, really worried about the, the, the rate at which we litter. That has got a high impact on the environment. It's got a high impact on water. And if we don't become the champions for anti-littering, that's something. That's, the last part is, as we are having kids and we are using these disposable nappies, it's such a luxury. It's so much easier than what our mothers had, you know, having to wash the nappies. But they have to be thrown into the bin. Um, I know people will say, I don't want my bin to smell. And then everybody just kind of takes them, throws them in the environment, closest to the river. We should not do that. We need to be the pride and, and, and take pride in the fact that that luxury, it's not meant to be out of sight. Put it in the bin if possible. Tie it up, put it somewhere. Make sure that it can be disposed of properly. And that will contribute and go along into improving our environment and our water. And I thank you very much for giving me the time. And I, after this, I'm going to enjoy the, 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 the pool now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Enjoy. Thank, thank you very much. And uh, 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 stay well. All right. Thank you so much. This is perfect.